0: Hey there, welcome into to Talking Catholic with Deodore Gray. This video here is part two in a four part series of videos I'm doing on so called Black Catholicism. And the premise that I have for these series of videos is they hate Black Catholics. Now what I mean by Black Catholics is so called Black Catholicism. That is the predominantly Black Catholic churches in a predominantly Black community. This community of churches, I'm saying that they hate and they've hated from the very beginning. And that's the, the premise that I'm, I'm setting out and I'm proving in this video that they hate black Catholics from the very beginning for nearly a half a millennium since Catholics Black Catholics first arrived in this country in 1565. There's just been this complete hatred, racism, um, apathy and tourism uh, for, for centuries. This community of churches has been put in a theological ghetto. They've been abandoned. They've been run amok. They've been set up for failure by bishops, priests, and religious orders down through the centuries. This is a very important topic that we need to talk about. The Catholic Church plays uh, has a lot of blame on our shoulders for the way this country is today and the continued segregation, for the continuation of slavery, for the continuation of Jim Crow, the institutional Catholic Church played a role, participated in all of that. in um, contrary to um, the Catholic teaching, the true dogma of the church. So that's what I'm talking about in this video in particular. This is going to be a historical video uh, that's going to go back, that's going to begin at 1565. But before I get there, I'm going to start that talk right after the 8 se- second introduction to talking Catholic with David O'Gray. Before we get there, I have to say this that um, people have asked me, well, well, David, and this question I get all the time on my YouTube videos. Um, People ask me, "What, well, David, what about the slave trade? Or, or David, how can you call yourself a black Catholic if you know that the role that the Catholic Church played in the transatlantic slave trade, their history of owning slaves, selling slaves, um, individual local churches, bishops? How can you call yourself a, a black Catholic? How can you, as a black man, be a Catholic and belong to that church? Well, I answer that question by saying that I'm I'm not Catholic, because of what um, some individual um, have done or or have failed to do, or what some local church has done and what they failed. That's not why I'm Catholic. I'm not Catholic because of what any individual Catholic has done. I'm Catholic because of what Christ Jesus has done. Christ Jesus established his church on earth he gave it to me as a gift he gave it to all of us as a gift now when i when i realized that jesus christ was real i, I set out to find his church because i knew i didn't have a right to belong to some church that some man just started some man mad i didn't even have a right to start my own church if i was going to be a christian i hadn't belong to christ's church okay and So that could have been any church. It just happened to being that the Catholic Church the only church on earth that can prove that was founded by Jesus Christ through his apostles I had to join that church And that's the church. I joined and I also recognize that the issue of the, the, the teachings or the practices of that the individual Catholics and local Catholics have been in um, In regards to slavery as a Catholic I, I have I have to make distinction between <laughs> what Catholics do what local churches do versus what the church actually teaches the actual dogma the actual dogma what the church says this is, has been revealed by God okay and also make a distinction between the development of doctrine on particular issues okay so I have have a big enough brain and I'm I'm mature enough not to get caught up in emotions and actually think through these things without making excuses and there aren't going to be any excuses made after the a second introduction here we go now to set the groundwork on what the Catholic Church actually has taught um, about slavery In this development of doctrine down through the centuries I I like this essay that was written in um, the online magazine or magazine First Things by Cardinal Avery Delis Who observed these um, seven points about um, the Catholic Church's position on the institution of slavery Seven points here, I'm going to run through them quick here and I'm going to add some commentary to each one. First one, he says, For many centuries, the uh, the church was part of a slave-holding society. And that's true. What, he, what Cardinal Averdellius is pointing out here, that from the very beginning, the church was born into this world where slavery was just is. It, it was just is. It's, it's like being in a world today where cell phones just are. It's just... It just is. No one really thought about it. Um, slavery of all different types, um, from prisoner slavery, from prisoners of war, people who sold them slaves into slavery. Slavery just was. I mean, you, you can see it in the scriptures. I mean, Jesus he heals a slave. Paul writing to uh, Philemon he begs for uh, when. Um, Onesius returns that Philemon treats him not as his, his, his subordinate, but as his brother, as his equals. The scriptures also say that slaves should be obedient to their masters. Okay, so, and, and we see this just in in, in the Middle East and in Rome. Slavery, there never been a time in the history of this world when slavery was not. Right now in his world, slavery is going on. So, but the Catholic Church was born into this world where slavery just is. And as Cardinal Avery points out, that's what he says, it was part of a slave-holding society. Number two, he says, popes themselves held slaves, including at times hundreds of Muslim captives to man their galleys. Okay, so let's not nuance. If you go, if you look at um, the Catholic Church and slavery here on, on YouTube, if you're watching on YouTube, just type into your search bar, you'll run into videos, and you'll see in each one of those videos, there's a, a, a that's, that's by a Catholic, you'll see that the priest or whoever was speaking, he's going to make excuses and try to nuance slavery. He's going to say, well, slavery was different Things at different times Okay He's going to say He's going to make those distinctions Like I said before About prisoners And uh, Prisoners of war And then um, People who sold themselves In slaveries, People who were in slavery Because of debts You know They're going to make all these Little distinctions About slavery Okay But That's not nuance Okay um, The moral matter is self Slavery is owning a person that's contrary to just what it means to be human. We don't own one another. So every form of slavery is wrong. Slavery in any form is immoral. Okay, so let's not. I'm not. Let's not play that game of nuancing slavery. Okay, let's just let's just stop that. Okay. So, popes themselves held slaves. That was, but that was never the teaching of the church. That was never the dogma. The church never said it's been revealed by God that people should own slaves. No. This has just always been contrary to um, j- just just what it means to be human. <laughs> we don't own one another. Now, number three. Coronary Verdelli says, throughout Christian antiquity in the Middle Ages, theologians generally followed Saint Augustine in holding that all those slavery, Was not written into the natural moral law. It was not absolutely forbidden by that law. Okay. So again. um, St. Augustine is another person who's just born into a society where slavery just is. I mean he can perhaps perhaps, perhaps, um, imagine a world in which slavery was not. Okay, and this is where he's at. This is what he's thinking. Um, so, but just go back to the moral matter itself. Uh, we're, we're basically saying that treating another human as your property was not absolutely forbidden. Okay? Augustine taught. Okay. Treating another human as your property was not absolutely forbidden by the moral law. No, I hear in 2019, I think most of us would just consider that laughable, okay? But we weren't born into a society where slavery just is. A lot of us were born into a society where football just is. And it's okay to pay people millions of dollars to go around and violently crash into one another. Maybe, maybe 500 years from now, people will look back on us and say, wow. Those people were born into a society where football was just, which it is. And they didn't really think about it. Um, But now 500 years later, we understand that that's just barbaric. Okay, but um, number four, um, Cardinal Everdele says, St. Thomas Aquinas, Luther, and Calvin, all the um, protesters, were all Augustinian on this point. Although the subjection of one person to another servitus, he says was not part of the primary intention of the natural law saint thomas taught it was appropriate and socially useful in a world impaired by original sin that again that slavery was appropriate and socially useful in a world impaired by sin so basically what Saint. Thomas Aquinas is saying is that having another human being as your property is appropriate and socially useful because there's sin in the world anyway so let's just sin um, because sin is just is going to happen okay so um, is again, In 2019, I just think this is laughable. That okay, let's just sin because sin just is. Okay, let's just everyone just go have an abortion because abortion is just going to happen. Abortion is just socially useful and appropriate. All right, so I I I think most people agree that this is laughable. But again, even Saint Thomas Aquinas, he's also born into a society where slavery it just it just it just is. Okay. Perhaps people like Augustine, perhaps people like St. Thomas Aquinas, perhaps if they were to encounter something as we would see here very shortly, that I'm going to talk about the transatlantic slave trade, which is a a race based slave trade filled with just all types of white supremacy and Muslim supremacy, right? Um, Subjecting just a particular Race of people to slavery not considering those people human beings uh, a slavery that had nothing to do with prisoners of war This is not war going on in Africa. There's just a the kidnapping of human beings and putting them into bondage um, perhaps if they um, and this wasn't <laughs> a Debtors type of slavery. These weren't people volunteering for slavery. These are people who were kidnapped perhaps If some of these people who be called doctors of the church had um, encountered that type of slavery, perhaps they would have maybe thought different. Okay. So we can't judge them for something that they had not encountered. But at the same time, we can judge them by just the moral matter of self. Owning another person, treating another person as your property. Number five. Carnival says that no father or doctor of the church was an unqualified abolitionist. Um, I, would, I would say that's true. I would say true. I don't really have anything to push back on here. Um, I would say that people like Gregory Anissa and St. John Chrysostom, they've spoke very strongly against slavery. But I think I think Deli's here is true true in saying that the Catholic Church was never, at least I would say until um, Gregory XVI comes along, that the Catholic Church was never just an abolitionist church. It was never a church saying that slavery is always evil, is an intrinsic evil, and it needs to be abolished in every form. I, I don't think the Catholic Church, probably arguably until Gregory XVI when it comes out against the transatlantic slave trade. Can really call, this, call itself an abolitionist church. Okay. And number six, Cardinal Rodelli says that no pope or council ever made a sweeping condemnation of slavery as such. I, I would push back here and I will say, well, well, several papal documents do speak strongly against the maltreatment of slaves. That's true. I think the Catholic Church has been consistent in saying that, that slaves should be treated humanely. Okay. And the Catholic Church, I think, has also been consistent in its development of this doctrine um, against slavery and saying that um, it's always been wrong um, for, for people to enslave Catholics. The Catholic Church has always been um, firm on that, that, okay, if you're going to take prisoners of war and put them in down as slaves, you can't do that to Catholics, okay. been um, treating slaves humanely, it was important. Um, baptizing them, um, giving them slave masters were always encouraged to give their slaves religious education. So um, treating them humanely has always been. Important. Okay, um, and uh, and also, like I said, Gregory the Sixteenth, Pope Gregory Sixteenth, in 1839, his apostolic letter did condemn sl- the transatlantic slave trade, which is important because this is a, a completely new form of slavery, completely racist. Uh, he's saying that the unhuman traffic. He call, he called it an unhuman traffic in Negroes. Right. It just happened to be that his apostolic letter was just ignored by everyone, including Catholic countries that were involved in, this, in the slave trade, namely Spain and um, Portugal. Here in the United States, letter just flatly ignored by bishops, reinterpreted to say that, well, he's not really saying that. okay so that's cool because it's, it's horrible. we've seen this before, okay. Um, Number seven, lastly, Cardinal Delhi says that, but they constantly sought to alleviate the evils of slavery and repeatedly denounced the mass enslavement of conquered populations and the infamous slave trade, thereby undermining slavery at its sources. Okay, now I think these seven points, I think truly summarize the, the world in which we're gonna find blacks arrive in this country, the United States, in fifteen sixty-five, on a boat ironically called Saint Augustine. Alright. So this boat um, was captained by a person named Pedro Alvarez. Um, he's the conquistador on this ship, Saint Augustine, was sailed into Florida in eighteen sixty five the the primary object of this ship was to thwart the french who had arrived a few years earlier and they went to south carolina on the on the on the shores there and they started a city called um, fort charles okay so and also on that ship you also had some blacks as well um, some slave and some free now it's, it's really interesting here that um you have know, books like this. This is a book I got when I was in college, um, when I went to, can um, you see my diploma over there? Central State University, a predominantly black university. Um, when I was a freshman, every freshman got this book. It was like, you had to read this book. It's a, it's a, like I said, a predominantly black college and at the time, um, black um, American history is very important so I learned in this book that blacks first arrived in this country in 1619 so I always thought that year is a big deal 1619 but that more that that 1619 was the when, when British arrived with a boatload of slaves okay so different but it's a good book, um, Leroy Bennett Jr. Also, a good book, especially about this subject in particular, was this book, The History of Black Catholics in the United States by Cyprian Davis. Awesome author, he's deceased now, but I did have a chance to talk to him when he was still alive. I was trying to interview him for my podcast back then, man, this is back 2011, 2012, maybe. I mean, he, was, he really didn't want to be interviewed for my podcast, but um. We did have a really good conversation just about black Catholicism, so-called black Catholicism in the United States. So really good book here is out of print. But if you're fortunate, you could be able to um, have the opportunity to stumble upon one. If you do, make sure you buy it. Really great book. A lot of great history there. I think everyone should read. But um, back to the point. So, yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, St. Augustine is, is really the... Um, Oldest city in the contiguous United States, and it was started by Catholics, right? And black Catholics were in that group. And so, during the 16th and 17th centuries, St. Augustine was really just a hub of slavery. I mean, it was the port in that part of the country traffic, just immense traffic in the slave trade. And the churches in St. Augustine played an important role in the slave trade because the Catholic church there was a church that was documenting um, which slaves arrived, which ones were baptized, which ones got married, who had children. Ironically, one of the very early births of, uh, of a slave child there um, to a black family was a child named Augustine. Interesting. And his um, his father was also named Augustine. So, very interesting there. So, um, also part of history that, that um, um, the, the crown of, of Spain, um, he was always outnumbered in this country, right, by the English and other people. And, and so, it was very important to At one point in time, he had issued uh, an edict or um or declaration saying that any slave that makes it to spanish territory will be free if now there's a caveat here if that slave um, converts to catholicism so if you were a slave and you made it out of mississippi or you made out maryland and you got down to a spanish territory like saint augustine you could be free if you um, converted to Catholicism also over in Los Angeles, Los Angeles was founded, um, sometime in the, um, thank man, late 1700s and they recruited, they needed soldiers. And so they recruited people from St. Augustine, Florida to come there. And so they, they brought them there. And so there were 11 families that started Los Angeles, California. And half of those families were black Catholics so Los Angeles was a city founded by black Catholics and Mexicans and Indians so very rich history of black Catholics in this country Um, so and and back to St. Augustine so when Um, Pedro the conquistador when he lands here, um, he goes up and you know, they slaughter Fort Charles up there. They get rid of the Huguenots. And so like I said, it goes on to be really just a a hub of slavery. Um, At at some point in time, a little north of um, St. Augustine, a city is started named Fort Mose. It's spelled M-O-S-E, but it sounds like Mose M-O-S-A-Y. And that was the first city established just for Black Catholics. So, um, just tremendous history there. Now, um, now up in Maryland. So let's leave Florida for a second. So that's that's some Black Catholic history. is found founding there. So you had you had slaves, Black slaves, and you had Black uh, free people as well who were Catholics. Now up north, you have Maryland. Now Maryland had always had a really large contingent of Catholics, okay? Mainly because of people like um like um the Calvert's and you had bishop um John Carroll. Also you had the Jesuits. The Jesuits here in the late 1600s they're still a suppressed religious order in the 1700s as well. They're suppressed they're not allowed to practice, they're not allowed to be a religious order, essentially. But they're still around. They didn't just like die off when <laughs> they were suppressed. They actually, they go into business. They they form a corporation in Maryland and their business is agriculture, right? Maryland is south of the Mason-Dixon line, so it was legal to own slaves there and Jesuits owned a lot of slaves because they were in the agricultural business. And um, like I say, oh, hundreds of slaves. They're in the slavery business, and um, in in Maryland, Maryland was an interesting state because at some point, you know, you had Protestants there as well, and there were some tensions there. There were some wars fought, and so at, at some at some times throughout the history, that it was illegal to practice the Catholic faith. You know, supposedly that was the law in the books, but. By the, I would, I would say, um, by the early 1800s, um, I think the Catholics had prevailed there. And it was a law on a books, well, it was a law that there wouldn't be any anti-Catholic laws. So that that's kind of what we find in in um, Maryland. So even the bishop there, John Carroll, who is himself was a Jesuit, he also owned slaves. So. So a lot of slave labor going on there. Um, at, at one point in time, John Carroll he, he realizes that there are there are about um, I think sixteen thousand Catholics in in Maryland, and of those 16, 000, 20% percent of them were black. 20 percent of them were black, so a lot of black Catholics, um mainly slave, but some free as well. All right. So Another interesting point of history: talking about the Catholic Church involvement in slavery and religious orders, and like I said, bishops and priests owning slaves. At some point in time, it had to be around about 1835. The Jesuits decide that they want to get out of business. Okay, they're they're no longer a suppressed religious order. They're allowed to be Jesuits again. They're allowed to be the Society of Jesus again. And so they said, okay, we're gonna get an agriculture business. Okay, the younger group of Jesuits they wanted this. The older group didn't, but the younger group prevailed. And so they want to get back into education. Be smart Jesuits okay, again. Okay, so and and so what do they do with their like 272 slaves at this point in time? After these slaves help build, made them lots of money, build a lot of their churches, build a lot of their houses, build Georgetown University. What do they do with these 272 slaves? Well, they send them to Georgetown University. No, that didn't happen. Um, they freed them. They freed all the slaves. No. They emancipated them and gave them reparations. No. No, not that either. What they did was they sold them, the Jesuits, these Catholics, this religious order, the Society of Jesus, these Jesuits, sold these slaves, families of slaves, to two slaveholders in Louisiana. Now, probably these slaveholders in Louisiana were also Catholic. Because... Again, Louisiana is a territory where you have a lot of Spanish, a lot of Catholics. But nonetheless, they sold them. Now, for his part, John Carroll, like I said, the bishop there in Maryland, he was also conflicted about slavery, but never so cl- conflicted that he was compelled to do the right thing about this issue. In Louisiana, speaking of Louisiana, you had Louis William de Burg, who was the bishop of the Louisiana territory in 1815, He asked, but never answered a series of questions on the morality of slavery, including whether it should be permitted for slaves to labor on Sunday. Of course, the burg, who was also part of religious order, the supplicants, um, also owned slaves who he used for collateral in his business ventures. So here we have another bishop who owned slaves and is participating in the slave trade. Um, lots of them. I'm just going to name of some of the, the notable ones here. I thought were terribly conflicted and really just made a mockery of themselves in the faith. There was Bishop William Henry Elder of Natchez, Mississippi, who, who was also the future Archbishop of um, Cincinnati, Ohio. Now here, he, now here's an interesting character because he does seem to have some interest. As I as I said, it was. Catholic slaveholders were obligated to get their slaves some religious education. But in, in Mississippi, um, Elder noticed that the population there in Mississippi was 600,000. Over half of that 600,000 though, were slaves. So he thought he had an issue because what he found out is that he had he had trouble compelling his the Catholic slaveholders to give their slaves get re- religious education because he had a shortage of priests. So, um, and so he didn't have a priest to go to all these different plantations and and teach religious education and give slaves some formation. And so he said, "Well, that's a problem. I have a shortage of priests. Well, what about?" I can gather all these slaves together, and I need I could use less priests if I could teach all the slaves together from these different plantations. Well, that's not a good. I can't do that either. He found because slaveholders did not want their slaves commingling uh, with slaves from other plantations. Okay, because there'd be some issues there. All right, the obviously, obvious issues. I guess I don't need to point out, but issues. Also, Elder interestingly noted that. Well, he couldn't even, (laughs) I mean, the the perfect solution was just have your slaves come to mass with the slaveholders, right? But because, again, 600,000 people in Mississippi, over half of those, nearly 400,000 of them were slaves. Well, Elder realized that he couldn't do that because if slaves came to mass, he said, then there wouldn't be any room for the white folk. Okay, but just imagine for a second. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. What we've, our, what we, what we've done, what we failed to do, the institutional Catholic Church in this country. Uh, imagine, and just as Clarence Thomas brought this up, in a in a matter of speaking, in his book, in his, um, in his autobiography, he noted how the Catholic Church today is so speaks so strongly against abortion, that it is so pro-life. He remarked in his book, imagine if the church applied just a portion of their hatred towards abortion, towards slavery back then. And this was just one way. Imagine if Bishop Elder had a backbone. Imagine if he wasn't a slave to his time. Imagine if he, he really knew the gospel of Jesus Christ and lived it authentically. What he would have done was have his Catholic slave masters and their slaves come to Mass together. He would, he would have them receive communion together. He would have them on their knees together, receiving the body and blood of Jesus Christ. He would treat them as Paul wanted um, Philemon to treat Onesius, as his brother, as his equal okay but this is what we've done and what we failed to do in regard to this issue and there are bishops like people of John England of Charleston now this is a guy who just became just an apologist for slavery a bishop just became an apologist for slavery he would use canon law scripture um, uh, councils and uh, local synods, Roman law. I mean he, he he would just use all every source he could come up with to make excuses for slavery and just point out how it's always been accepted and always legitimate. It it always it came under specific titles and different circumstances. He's one of those people I can tell I can tell you on, on you, you go on YouTube and you'll find these Catholics who knew ones this issue. Alright? So but he was also a man with internal conflict right but nevertheless nothing less than a coward england once wrote that he is not friendly to the existence of the or the continuation of slavery but he also sees the impossibility of abolishing it i mean he's just such a slave himself in of into the world that he was born in again i mean this you know, I think the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think, I think once you truly receive it, and this is the message of the mass itself. The mass itself is far outside of time and space. It doesn't truly belong to this world. But in the message of Jesus Christ in the mass, intends to elevate us beyond this world. It tends to make us free. It intends to make us free it tends to free us from the bondage of this world but this guy england and all these other bishops i'm talking about just they couldn't get that right they couldn't rise above this world and so he says that he's, he's not friendly to the existence or continuation but he sees the impossibility of abolishing it but he says when it can and when it ought to be abolished when it can and when it ought to be abolished it is a question of the legislator And not for me is the question of the law of the government and it's not it's it's not it's not a it's not a question for me as a bishop but this was the general climate towards Africans in in the Americas at this time this was attitude of people towards the people who had been stolen from Africa the Africans who've been stolen from Africa and their descendants not a backbone anywhere to be found, I mean just just everywhere just just pure neglect, just this apathy towards slavery, towards bondage. Now, after the Civil War, um, here in, now it's 1966, after the Civil Wars ended, it's a tremendous opportunity now, right? right It's a tremendous opportunity now, right, for the Catholic Church to do something about um, the Negro question. About the free black question, all right. Tremendous opportunity. Slavery's over. I mean, yeah, heretofore there was an issue of the law, right? Um, slavery was legal. The church, we could say, well, the church didn't want to rock the boat, right? But now, 1866, there's, 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 there's really, there's no excuses the The law now is on the slide slavery had had been abolished and you you had all these slaves hundreds thousands million all right these free slaves these free black men and women in the country who man imagine all of them could have been brought into the catholic church all of them in a world be different today if the catholic church had even tried just to just convert one Just one, right? Tremendous opportunity in 1866. And there was even the the second plenary council in Baltimore. And I remember at this point in time, the United States and the bishops, they they can't form their own conference, right? There's no United States Conference of Catholic bishops yet because they're still under the authority of Rome. So the most they can have are these plenary councils. And Rome actually at this time in 1866, they had fully endorsed a, a, um, a plan to evangelize to, to the black Americans. And let me look at my notes again here. I'm sorry, I'm making mistakes. Um. They want an an apostolate directed towards black Americans and they even named a a person named Bishop Spaulding. Now, Spaulding is an important person to remember once you get into the founding of the Society of Joseph or the Sacred Heart, so-called the the Josephites, as they're called. It's a religious order consisting primarily of black Americans, but it's a mission directed towards um, evangelizing um, initially. uh, former slaves, but um, uh, initially former slaves, but eventually just all Black Americans, um, a religious order. So, but but Spaulding, but but Spaulding, he was re- remain proponent of the mission to the Black Americans, and he was the leader of this council. But the mission received no support whatsoever and and some bishops were even upset that rome was pushing them to do something about this issue and they really became too busy in the first session of the the plenary council so they had to have a special session just for this issue in particular and at this extraordinary session really the whole issue was just put off they decided to do nothing about this issue do nothing in regards to the unevangelized black Americans. They they, they rejected the idea of creating an, an ecclesial coordinator or a prefect, um, apostolate. In fact, they they did nothing in regards to, un, to unevangelized black Americans. It was really decided to what they decided, get this, was let each bishop go back to his own diocese or territory. And if you have some black people there and uh, you know you can decide what to do with them in your own you know on your own in your, in your own territory It's up to you what you want to do essentially and um they say you know they recommended that you know if you you could work with your provincial synod you know the the bishops in your area to, you know maybe come up with something together basically, this is Catholic Church speak for do nothing that's what it's just it's just Catholic Church speak for you know, just passing the buck, right? So, tremendous opportunity there, completely wasted. What we've done, and what we failed to do. This is on us, okay? The Catholic Church had particip- opportunity to participate in the Reconstruction movement, right? And, and they the partic- opportunity to do works of charity with the Freedmen's Bureau. Right, a lot of people talk about well, oh, blacks need reparations and this whole thing. You had these conversations going on with you know the Democrats, and you know, <laughs> you, know, several election cycles. You know, Democrats like to talk about reparations, but blacks were given their reparations um, right after slavery. The people who should have had reparations were given reparations. You had the Freedmen's Bureau, you had the Reconstruction movement, and uh, many black colleges and universities, such as the one um, I went to. Um, were part of that movement of the reconstruction you know building black colleges and universities Catholic Church could have participated in that but did not <laughs> um, so what did black Americans do after the Civil War Well, they they started they, they they continued what they were doing during the Civil War during I mean during slavery they kept going with the with the Protestant Church because at least they're um, on, on the Protestant plantations, blacks had it really bad. I think on, on, on all plantations, slavery was just bad. But on Protestant plantations, it was horrendous because Catholic slave owners, they had some sort of rules they had to f- supposedly follow with their slaves. Um, but on plan, Protestant plantations, you know, those Protestants, they didn't have <coughs> any standards, right? They have any authority. So, but... Um, so, what black's experience in the Protestant church was a lot of what they experienced in the Catholic church. Um, in the Catholic church, black Catholics experienced a lot of segregation. They weren't allowed to be in the main pew of Catholics. They had to be off in the galleys or up in, up on top in the balcony. Um, sometimes they weren't allowed to drink from the same communion cup as whites and things like that. And in the Protestant church, it's a lot of experience, same lot of segregation inside the church. But in the, in the, in the Protestant church. Blacks could have said, so what? I'll just go start my own church. I mean, that's what, I mean, that's what Protestantism affords. You can just go start your own church. You don't need a priest, you don't need apostolic authority, you just go start your own church. And that's what Protestantism um, afforded Blacks, the opportunity to worship Jesus Christ on their own terms. Um, they, they really couldn't find that in, in the Catholic church because you, can, you can't just go start a Catholic church. And so the black Protestant Church really spread like wildfire because of that liberty and that freedom. And because, again, the Catholic Church had a fullness of the faith. And I think the Catholic Church has a, a unique teaching that offers something no other religion offers, namely the Holy Eucharist, namely Jesus Christ. But it was that neglect and apathy towards black Americans by the Catholic Church which prevented that message from from reaching them. But you did have some Catholic bishops who did hear the message that Spalding was trying to preach. And some of them did go back to their diocese and really follow the plan that Spalding um, in Rome had put forward. And what the, 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 the plan essentially was, was to segregate black folks into their own Catholic churches. And this is what I mean by the birth of the Jim Crow black Catholic Church this has been really the big plan in Catholicism from 1866 probably earlier until today alright the big plan everybody how do you get more black people more black Protestants more unevangelized blacks into the black Catholic Church the big idea is to segregate them put black folks into their own black Catholic church and somehow get some black priests for those black people because only black people can evangelize the black people. Let's start some religious orders for black people and give them a mission. Notice how black religious orders only have a mission for black people. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that black religious orders only have a, a mission for black people, sometimes Indians? But you know, black religious orders never have a mission for all people. Okay, white religious orders do. Yeah, white religious orders have a mission for you know Dominicans, the Franciscans, the Jesuits. They're for always all people, not just white people, but only black religious orders just for black people, right? But this, 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 this—the this, this, this Jim Crowism of the Catholic Church in America. It's just this. What I mean by Jim Crow, Jim Crow laws in the South. During after after the Civil War um, in the South, you had two sets of laws. You had laws for whites and laws for blacks. Laws for blacks are called the Jim Crow laws. Blacks had their, their water fountain, whites had their water fountain. Whites enter a restaurant in the front door, blacks enter through the back door. Um, if a black person breaks the law, they don't have to go to court. You would just lynch him on the streets, mob justice. These are Jim Crow laws, a separate set of laws. For black people and that's what we see in a catholic church um right after 1866 um let me look at my notes here a second um so the, these special segregated churches were created and some black priests were eventually found some later um, later some black bishops for black catholics but before and after the civil war um like i said more religious orders and so this is really the birth of the black catholic ghetto all thanks, really, to um, bishops who, um, I, mean, I think, you know, well-intentioned. I, listen, I understand at times. I understand at times. I, I, I sort of get some of, I can understand the logic. I think ultimately it's flawed. I don't think it's, it's not Catholic, obviously. Catholic is universal, not segregated. Right. The idea of segregating Catholicism betrays just the very idea of what Catholicism stands for. It betrays the very idea of what humanity is all about. Humanity works better, works best when we break down racial lines, when all people work together for the common good. Right. Um, and th- again, this is the message of the mass. The mass is, <laughs> is not intended to be segregated. The mass is universal. The mass in Latin unites all people in one language. The mass in, in, in the vernacular unites all people in common tongues as well. The, the, the mass is, <laughs> it intends to break down all that is worldly, all that division and bring us, make us one in Jesus Christ. Um, so that's whole, this, this is the basic idea of segregated churches. is it just just odd. Um, I understand, you know, in the United States is really unique in a sense. If you go to the Philippines, the church looks very Filipino. You go to Mexico, the church looks very Mexican. You go to the Puerto Rico, looks very um, Puerto Rican, right? But the United States it has such a broad swath of different races. And so you see Germans come here, they have their own church community. The Irish come here, they have their church community. Um, the blacks are given, you know, their church community. But look at all those church communities now, right? They're all dead. They're all gone, right? They, they, they didn't last, okay? Because they betrayed the very idea of what it means to be Catholic. We're not a segregated people. It was never intended for their America to be just an Irish church or just a German church. And that's why they're all dead now. Okay, and that's why the faith in this country is in such shambles because we're we're we're, we're so infected by this spirit of tribalism and, and division and, and racism and prejudice and, and it's just it's just a shame it, it just really is. But at the same time, I, I can understand. I mean, for in regards to Black Americans, we're we're talking about a time in society where a Black man can be lynched for looking at a white woman the wrong way. Could be lynched for looking a white man in the eye, and and so I understand there's some thought here, and we'll talk about this later when we get to Burke. But we'll talk about we'll talk um, about um, how yeah, that the thought was how can can a white man truly evangelize to a black man, right? Because that that they weren't thought to be equals, and so evangelism works best through friendship and through. Um, when two people can have a true relationship, the sort of thought was having White people and black people can't have relationships, so let's just start some black Catholic churches. Okay. I get that. Now Rome would try again with this issue in nineteen oh four. All right. Um And again, this is still a time when the Catholic Church of America was still under the, um, what was it called? It was called the Congregation of the Propagation of the Faith. And they had heard about the black Catholic issue in the United States. One source perhaps they would have heard from was a gentleman by the name of um, Joseph Osio. He's a Belgian, but he belonged to the Josephites, the Society of Jesus. And here wrote a booklet entitled, The Miserable Condition of Black Catholics in America. And which he wrote about the injustices and evils of the Jim Crow laws. He wrote about the lynchings I was talking about, the mob justice against the blacks, um, segregation, the fear that Catholic priests have in this country of of just helping blacks, the fear of whites. They, you know, some priests who, who were good people, thought that they couldn't help blacks, because of whites, right? But the other priests were just had priests, some priests were just prejudiced against blacks. They were slaves to their, to their, to this time, to that time. Um, he's talking about Joseph Austin, he was talking about the segregation that occurs in Catholic churches, like I mentioned during Mass. Blacks not being allowed to be admitted to Catholic schools and Catholic colleges and universities. Even Georgetown University being run by Jesuits, a school that was segregated into the 1940s to 1940 until uh, yeah, the mid-1900s, Jesuit, this school. Um, Ossio did make exception for a few bishops um, who did have backbone, um, but there were others like you had Kelly in Savannah who publicly criticized Theodore Roosevelt for inviting Booker T. Washington to dinner at the White House. Now um, Booker T. Washington, <coughs> and you know he's a contemporary of um, people like W.D. Du Bois. Um, a very interesting, very interesting um, black man Booker T. Washington was. And it's amazing that Kelly had a problem with him. You know, people like the black intellectuals like W.D. Du Bois and these other people um, of the Niagara Movement. I um, also had a problem with Booker T. Washington. Because Booker T. Washington, he really didn't think black Americans. Um, at that point in time needed to, everybody needed to go get a college degree like W.D. Du Bois and Monroe Trotter and those people well thought. Um, Brooke C. Washington said black uh, Americans just need to trade. They need to go to trade school, learn to trade, learn how to farm land and things like that. And so, um, you know, W. D. Du Bois, Monroe Trotter and people like that, um, the black intellectuals, you know, the talented 10 percent um, that you know they thought Booker Trotter was just, um, you know, he didn't want the best for black Americans, he just wanted to keep them down, he didn't want them to achieve intellectual heights. And so it's it amazing that, you know, Savannah, this guy Kelly, obviously a racist, had a problem with Booker T. Washington, right? Um, it's, it's really ironic. But but this is also the bishop who stated, stated that no black man should be ordained a bishop because he has, um, he's, because he's irregular according to canon law. Now Kelly said that black, black, black Americans shouldn't be ever ordained to be a priest because they're irregular." Now his, his reason for saying they're irregular according to canon law, because that they're, they're viewed by, they're viewed with contempt by whites. Whites look at black, black men in contempt, right? So basically Kelly was saying blacks should never be priests because white people are racist. All right, Kelly, you're racist, right? I mean, this is really is circularly stupid. I mean, Kelly really doesn't. He's probably one. He's just one of those people who, even today, we have we have bishops and priests like this. You're like, well, how how did you, how how did you become a priest, right? <laughs> but, here we are. Um, so, but but Rome Rome's ongoing issue. Did um, result in the establishment of what was called the Catholic Board of Negro Mission. And it was headed by a, um, a guy named uh, Reverend John Burke, who was he's a priest out of New York. Now, as, uh, as uh, Cyprian Davis notes in his book, A History of Black Catholics in America, he notes that Burke was really the first person who looked at this issue. Honestly, he's really the first person who looked at this issue and and didn't really look at blacks in contempt, and didn't look at at them as inhuman or, or um, lower than whites. He, he kind of looked at blacks as equal in a sense. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I'll push back a little bit on Davis here. I wish I could have had this conversation with him, but I'll, I'll push back a little bit. And, and surely, but he, he said that because uh, he issued these reports about the condition of blacks, and blacks in America, and he really he came up with. Um, four issues of why he thought these were the four obstacles that he thought that prevented blacks really being evangelized or coming into the Catholic Church in America. The first one he said was a lack of black priests. Again, we're going back to this idea that only black people can evangelize to black people. Okay. And I sort of explained that earlier. Uh, Okay, this, you know, I can sort of Appreciate the time that we're in all right. It doesn't really comport with today I don't think that but you still have people who think that today, you know We need more get more blacks in the church We need more black priests and things like that Which is really strange, And you know, I, I came to the the catholic church so I didn't want the last thing. I wanted to be was a black Catholic. I never heard of a black Catholic, but um, it, it, was, it was really no thought to me when I went up to the priests and I asked them and what I need to do to become Catholic, I, the, the, you know, Father Toner was probably the whitest man I ever met in my life, right? And I think he's Irish, and um, it, it just never occurred to me that that, <laughs> it's you know, it's just really kind of silly, but I'm not going to get off on a tangent there, but, um, so, number one, like a priest. Two, Burke found that too many blacks belong to forbidden secret societies. And he's talking here like groups like the Freemasons, the Knights nice, of Pythias, the, the Order of Fellows, the Elks, but at the top of that food chain would be the Freemasons. Okay, it's hard to, and I, I've written books about when I was a Freemason. Um, I've written books about the history of Prince Hall Freemasonry. One of the, my my best known books is this book here, it's called Inside Prince Hall. It's a history book about Prince Hall Freemasonry. And, and in that book, and I wasn't a, a Catholic back then, I was, I was really an Gnostic and very anti-Christian. But in, in, in that book, I, I talk about um, about <clears throat> the integral role that Prince Hall Freemasonry and Prince Hall Freemasonry is a predominantly black set of Freemasonry in, in the United States because Freemasonry is well segregated United States from, from the very beginning. In the United States, uh, Freemasonry is segregated. Um, a little less now, but primarily still so, segregated. And, But Prince Hall Freemasonry, you can't talk about the history of black America unless you talk about Freemasonry, Prince Hall Freemasonry because it is so integral to the black experience and black history in this America. And the reason why, the, the black church and a black lodge grew up together in this country. You had people like um, Springer, who was a grandmaster in the Grand Lodge of Ohio, who, when I went down the Underground Railroad, he would start churches and start lodges in the same towns, in the same buildings, with the same members. Um, the black community, for maybe until like the 1970s or 60s, the leadership in a black community came from the Masonic Lodge. That's who they looked up to. If you were a Mason in a black community, you were somebody. If you were the, the master of a lodge, you were the man. okay um, If you were a Freemason and you died, the Masons took care of your family. They buried you, so there, there are benefits, financial benefits in, in being a mason. And so, just black history and the black church and the black lodge are synchronous, okay? They, they grow up together. You can't talk about one thought. The Prince of Prince Freemasonry in the black community is, is, is essential at, the, at this time. Um, another influential church, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the AME Church, uh, for, for quite a long time, you can't be a bishop or, or even a, 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 um, a reverend or pastor of a big church unless you're a Freemason, unless you're Prince Hall Freemason. I mean, it's just—I mean, I could go on and on talking about how integral it is. But Burke saw this, and he made a mistake here. He said, he he knows that okay, blacks can be Catholics because they belong to these secret societies. True. But then he says, he knows that the ban against such membership should be maintained for black Catholics, but permission should be attained from the Holy See, allowing prospective converts to retain their membership in such societies for the sake of financial benefits. Burke noted that black secret societies do not present the same threat to Catholics that white societies did. He also urged that the church should create um, such fraternal societies for financial benefit for black Catholics, okay. Then the Knights of Peter Claver come to mind, but that, that was a mistake on Burke's part. He shows complete ignorance of what Freemasonry is. Uh, Freemasonry isn't different for black people. Uh, it's, it's the same Masonic degree system, it's the, it's the same ideology, it's the same um, religious secretism. What I mean by that, Freemasonry is a religion, um, but it's a religion in a secretic sense, meaning it incorporates different elements from the other different religions. And go watch my videos on Freemasonry, I'll talk more about this, but I'll be brief here. Now that was that an error. That we don't make excuses for different sets of Freemasonry. Freemasonry is Freemasonry. It's, it's, it's the same no matter where it's set. Um, uh, Freemasonry practice amongst Mexicans or Indians or whatever, it, it doesn't, it, it, it's, it's still Freemasonry. Yes, there are some Christian expressions of Freemasonry. Prince of Freemasonry is one. It is a very Protestant expression of Freemasonry. It's probably the only lodge that you'll go into and you will hear Jesus' name. You will hear church songs. Because again, the black church and a black lodge grow up together. And sometimes in a in a black lodge, you can go in there and you will see what Protestants call somebody catching the Holy Ghost. Okay. Mozart in Austria also experienced a very Catholic expression of Freemasonry, okay? But since 1738 with Pope Clement XII, the ban has been against all Freemasonry, not because of these so-called Christian expressions of it, but because Freemasonry at its core is anti-Christian and anti-Catholic, okay? for the four reasons that Pope Clement delineated. Go watch those videos when I want to talk about this. But so, so Burke was in error here, and I just had to say that. Um, lastly, Burke says, Burke also found that um, an obstacle of blacks becoming Catholic, I'm sorry, this is number three, that there was a lap of, lack of rapport, again, He's going back meaning that whites and blacks can't build rapport okay you can't have a white person teaching black person Catholicism or vice versa okay so and lastly Burke found that there was low standards for morality amongst black Americans and Catholics uh, bishops noted this pre-Civil War I think John Carroll was one of them. That he noted that man, these blacks, they just be having kids out of wedlock. They cohabitate, and there's just so many obstacles bring them in in the church. First, you have to figure out who are they married to. Are they married? Whose kids are these, <laughs> right? Um, why are you living together? How many times have you been married? So there's that's what it means the lack of morality. There's uh, it, listen. I mean, let's be honest. What we've done and what we failed to do. Okay. This is just another issue where the church has failed on black Americans. Nowadays, over 77% of black children are being raised by a single mother in black America. Okay. 77% single parent households. Okay. So we, we can say, yeah, there is an issue of morality has been before and is now. Okay, all this sex outside of marriage. Um, but imagine a society, imagine a black America, where black Americans heard this message about the sanctity and dignity of human life and of marriage. Imagine that. Imagine if the calf of black America knew were taught about the sacraments of holy matrimony okay so yeah there's some difficulties but they they shouldn't have been difficulties that we didn't try to overcome so the grand plan has failed and it was supposed to fail Catholicism doesn't work when it's segregated the word itself, Catholicism means universal our faith just works better when we're one that, that's that's just the message of Catholicism, because God is one and we were better as a people when we're one. Right. I understand people who are slaves to their time. I understand how this plan seemed good at some point in time. OK, just like I understand what St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas thought about slavery. They were they were just born into it. I get that. But we have to admit that this has failed on, on every level. The Jim Crow Catholic Church has failed to transform the community outside of itself. Every community that these black Catholic Churches are in is blacks are failing in every statistical category. They just are. That's true. And I'll talk about that more in the next video. In the video after that, I'll talk about how the Jim Crow Catholic Church has failed to transform the life within itself in the sense of the Protestantism of the liturgy. And I'll I'll explain that as a failure, but again, that's just the results of the black Catholic church being set up for failure, being abandoned, being left astray, run amok. Okay. So that's what you're going to hear about in the next two videos. These two failures that is comes as a direct result of the intentional establishment of a segregated Jim Crow black Catholic church and i look forward right now I just look forward to your comments below let me know what you thought about this video and guys make sure you follow me on all the social media platforms but until then and until next time blessings and shalom to you and to yours